Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. All right, good morning, Memphis. We are here with your weekly Meanwhile in Memphis radio program here on WYXR. I am Anna Mullins-Ellis with New Memphis. I'm here with my colleague. Hello, guys. I'm Christy Mullins. Excellent. And as I think we, we seeded in our second episode, which uh, back two weeks ago, we are, New Memphis is a partner to present TEDx Memphis, which is local TED Talks from local leaders, innovators. Uh, TED Talks are all about ideas worth sharing. So what we do is we find people who have a great idea and we help them polish that idea and package it. And then we put them on the TED stage and they give uh, you know, what is, we hope, a really accessible and hopefully, you know, a good TED Talk is one that that inspires, that uh, provokes, that, you know, that makes you think about something differently. So um, every other, every few weeks, we're going to have one of our past TED speakers join us here in the studio, both to listen to their TED Talk, uh, so you guys can enjoy that, uh, you know, live TED experience, uh, but also we're going to talk with them personally about you know, both the, the topic of their TED Talk and other projects that they're working on. So we're excited to bring you a new edition of uh, TED TED Talks on yes. uh, Meanwhile Memphis. Christy, who have we got lined up this week? Um, today, we're going to actually be bringing you guys the youngest Shelby County Schools principal in the history of, you know, well, kind of ever, <laughs> um, Dr. Archie Moss. I kind of call him Mr., but he is now officially Dr. Archie Moss Jr., and he is currently serving as the proud principal of Bruce Elementary School. He will be here with us today to talk about his 2020 TED Talk, Small Ideas Can Lead to Big Change, um, where he just kind of is going to discuss how innovation can help lead us to solving the problems of educational equity. We're really excited to have him. It's going to be a good one. You're not going to want to miss. Stay tuned. Today we have Dr. Archie Moss Jr., who was born in Miami, Florida and graduated from the University of Florida with a bachelor's degree in business and family, youth and community sciences. Archie is now the principal at Bruce Elementary School, where he is not only the youngest Shelby County Schools principal, but also the first TFA alum, which is Teach for America, to lead a SCS school. And thank you for coming, Archie. We're so happy to have you. I'm so grateful that you all even want to talk to me. Oh so, my gosh. Archie, so thankful. <laughs> Well, Archie was uh, one of our TED speakers this year, so we were just saying way back in February of 2020. <laughs> that seems like 500 years ago. <laughs> like Archie took our TED stage, and you're, you know, we always try to have some voices from the education space to talk about, you know, I think it's kind of a cliche at this point, but we say that like Memphis is the Silicon Valley of education reform, yes. and we're kind of the epicenter of all of like urban education. Um, thinking and how we're making things different. Um, so we certainly try to bring that to the TED stage, but I think you have such, you had such a unique story, both kind of your, again, being such a young leader, being such a visionary Absolutely. leader. Um, and you'd had such a um, kind of, I guess like a sort of personal brand explosion as you were doing this online yes. reading to kids. And it was such a sort of endearing, Absolutely. but like perfect message for the kind of educator we want in our classroom. So I guess first, let me just ask you, what is it that, that drew you to educate. I mean, now you are a doctor. Yes. <laughs> but from before you started your education, before you decided this was your career path, what was it about being in the classroom, being in a school that made it like exactly what you wanted to do? It's so interesting. I always go back to a point. Um, I was a business major at one point, uh -huh. just solely business. I wanted to go into business law. 
when I was at the University of Florida. Had no desire of going into education whatsoever. Um, I actually did a teaching internship program called um, Breakthrough Collaborative, which is in, I did it in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And my some of my colleagues who I went to school with were just like, oh, you should just do it. It's not really about teaching. It's, there's just so much more to it that you'll learn. It's a great summer experience and it's a summer job. So I was like, okay, I mean, what else do I have to do over the summer? So I went ahead and I applied to be a part of that. And that changed my life. That entire summer experience, I realized that education was so much more than what I had thought in my mind of just, you go in, you make your lesson plans, you teach your lessons, you give a test, and you go home. <laughs> I just realized that there was so much more that you can do with the role as an educator, the relationships, the mentoring, the fun that you can have with your students. Um, I think just completely changed my life so much that I got back to the University of Florida. I added another major, Family Community Sciences, so that I can kind of get more understanding for how communities are built and how families come to how they are today. And then I realized at that point that I knew that I wanted to go into education because I love my experience so much. But... I didn't want to change my major completely and do education and start school all over again. So that's why I did the route of Teach for America. So I'm so appreciative to Teach for America because they're the ones that gave me a foot in the door to start my journey. And I think from there, it just opened my eyes to just so much more that could come to this role as an educator. And I think from there, I'm always joke to everyone. Now that I am a doctor, it's so weird when everyone calls me Dr. <laughs> Moss now. It's like, oh, yes, that is me. Um, it's weird because I, when I was five years old, I told my grandfather um, that I was going to be the family's first doctor. At that time, I thought I was going to be a medical doctor. Yeah. Um, but then I didn't realize that I despise the sight of blood. <laughs> so I knew that wasn't Just actually something. a small something. part of being a doctor, yeah, you know. No, I realized that wasn't going to work out for me. And so being able to do this, I think about me becoming a doctor, me being so young, me being able to be a role model and mentor to all of those scholars that I have in my building, and even the scholars that are not in my building, but to the people that are watching me be able to, you know, try to have an impact on those. I, I take that, you know, responsibility, um, you know, very close and dear to my heart. And so I want to make sure that everything I do is trying to make sure I improve outcomes for all those that come in, that I come in contact with. Tell us a little bit about, you know, I think we all obviously know what a school principal is. We all had one at some point. Um, but it's such a, it's such a challenging and unique job. And I'm curious, you know, first just tell the audience, what is, what is being a principal encompass? What does that mean? What does your day to day look like? And then what are the greatest challenges that you've, you've encountered in your few years in the role? So I will definitely say to start off, my biggest challenge um, just coming into this role was just coming into, number one, I'm not a Memphian. I always tell people I wasn't born into 901, but 901 kind of created me and gave me my platform to be able to do what I love to do. And so being an outsider and being so young, um, I tell people I started, I was named principal when I was 27. And so coming into a school where I have educators, I have families who have been a part of this community for longer than I've been born, was a bit of a challenge where I feel like I had to establish myself and establish my vision for where I wanted to take the school. And so I think the biggest part, the first thing I had to do was be able to establish the culture and be able to, number one, understand the culture, be able to adapt to the culture and make sure everyone understood my role and what I was passionate about, which is about kids. Mm. And so I think once I started to get my feet wet and hands dirty and they started to see the things that I was trying to do, the innovative ideas that I want to bring to table, People are just like, oh, okay. Yeah, he is young, but we love it. We <laughs> yeah. love that youth. He's bringing so many great ideas. And so I honestly, 
the role of a principal is ever evolving. <laughs> I think there is never a dull moment. Um, every single day, you might have a plan of action. This is what I'm going to accomplish today. And a parent, a situation, a scholar, a teacher might completely change that whole agenda because you just never know what the day might bring. And so ultimately, if you want to think about the role and the day in the life of me um, pre-COVID-19, um, of course, starting every morning off, greeting my kids. So working the morning um, car ride line is one of my favorite things to do um, because it's the opportunity of starting the day off the right way with our scholars. So making sure they get that greeting, making sure that we start the day off fun. Um, then all of our scholars eat breakfast together in the cafeteria normally because, again, we're really big on community. Mm -hmm. And so we do our we highlight students that are doing great, great work during the community. We do our school wide creed. Then we normally send them off to the classroom. And so what I typically try to do is make my rounds to every classroom in the morning, just that if I didn't see them in the morning in the arrival line, making sure I have opportunity to making that touch point with the scholars so they can see me pop you into classrooms, not necessarily to observe teachers at that time, but just to kind of show my face to make sure the scholars know I'm here, I'm watching, making sure you all are doing <laughs> what you're supposed to do. And then, of course, throughout the course of the day, popping into classrooms, doing um, observations, uh, meeting with parents, planning different upcoming events, cafeteria time. I spend lots of time in the library, be I mean, the cafeteria, because... Cafeteria time is so much fun. It's, that's also <laughs> where you never know what you're going to get. I'm having flashbacks oh, to like my, my goodness. cafeteria days Walking during in the school. cafeteria is like, okay, woo-saw. <laughs> it's going to be loud. The kids are enjoying themselves. But again, I'm really big on making sure kids can be kids at all times. And so wanting them to have their time to have fun. And mm -hmm. then at the end of the day, I end the day on the car rider line. Rain, snow, cold weather, inclement weather. Myself and my admin team, we we take that role very, you know, to heart as well, where we don't have our teachers go outside on a car ride line. We do it ourselves. Oh, wow. And so we're out there every single day. Again, it gives us opportunity to make those touch points. So when I see those parents that I might need to give a nice little word to about little Johnny <laughs> who didn't make the best choice today, yes. it's also opportunity for us to be able to build those relations, which is what I'm really big about. And I think my role as a principal is ultimately to be to ensure that all of my students feel seen, heard, and deeply known. I think if I do that every day, regardless of the reading standards, regardless of the math that they were supposed to get, if my students feel like they have a place in my building, then I feel like I've done my job. Hmm, that's so nice. And at New Memphis, we, we do work with teachers to make sure that they have the skills and experiences they need to both be successful in the classroom, but to, but to persist in the classroom. So we know that teaching is a profession that obviously has its challenges and it can lead to burnout. So just knowing that we need great teachers to stick with it. And what we've learned over the years is, and this is not just true of education, the most important factor of if you like your job is your boss. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm so impressed with principals because they both have to, as you said, be a role model to a school of students and to lead with integrity and to show them the way, but you also have to run a business. Absolutely. So like, so I, you know, your previous interest in being a business major, mm -hmm. I think all it of actually, it, yeah, it it's applicable. Handy. Yeah. Absolutely. You've got to build handy. culture. You've got to, you know, you've got to build a team of teachers and administrators who understand your vision and are, you know, not just modeling what you're doing, but, but, but inputting into all of that. So I, I think that's really impressive. Absolutely. And it, and it makes me just reminding me of that when I was in business classes, one of my favorite business classes, go figure, was marketing. Mm. And go figure, that's what I feel like I'm 
doing such a great job mm-hmm. at with my school is being able to market and showcase the great things that our school is doing. And I think oftentimes with the media, I have a school full of black and brown boys and girls. And sometimes they aren't necessarily um, perceiving that they're always doing the great things or doing great work in the in the media. And so I think it's my personal job to change those perceptions. So I think that's why I'm so big on that marketing. So I never thought about how my business background actually mm-hmm. is coming into play with everything that I'm doing every single day. But I think ultimately, I oftentimes remind myself that I want to make sure that my teachers love coming to work every day. Mm. Because if I pour into my teachers every single day and they love their job, they're going to pour into their scholars the same exact way, and it's yes. just going to be a domino effect. And so I think my job, you're right, it is absolutely twofold. I'm going to make sure my kids are having fun every day, but I'm going to also make sure that I shower my staff with love at all times, which I think has been pretty hard during this pandemic mm. because I'm really big on um, gifts and giving things and having food and breakfast and all these fun celebrations for not only my teachers, but for my students. And I think that's been the hardest thing Mm -hmm. to um, deal with during COVID, of course, not being able to see our scholars, but just being able to celebrate them in the manner I think that they deserve. Yeah. Speaking of all of that, since becoming principal, your school has gone from the bottom 10% to one of the top performing schools in the state. And I'm just curious, like, how has, you know, having a few of those small ideas kind of giving a snippet into your TED Talk led to, like, big change not only for you but for your scholars and for Bruce Elementary and your staff all together as a whole? Um, I think ultimately it all started with the vision and where I wanted to go. I knew when I took over Bruce, we were in the bottom 10%. We were one of the lowest enrolled elementary schools. Actually, at the time, I want to say the second or third lowest enrolled elementary school. Um, We probably had a little over 300 students maximum. Um, And I knew that that was, when you don't have a lot of kids in the building, that is grounds for your school could potentially close moving forward. And I was in the era where they were closing a lot of elementary Mm -hmm. schools. And so I knew I had to do something to make sure that I'm improving the outcomes of our school community and making sure that I build our brand. And so I think one of those small ideas was making sure that I, I came from middle school before coming to elementary. So I was a middle school teacher. I was a middle school administrator. And so I just thought about in middle school, there's just so many fun activities, extracurricular activities these clubs, organizations that students are so excited about participating in that I wanted to bring to elementary school. And I was like, our kids are not too young. They're not too small to be able to experience some of these same events, activities that our upper grades, that our our middle school or high school kids um, are able to participate in. And so that was one of my small ideas, just making sure that we bring in these activities and these fun organizations so our kids could get involved in. And so what that did was it started attracting people to our school because we had unique activities that you're not going to get anyplace else. You're not going to get that at the school across town, you will get that when you send your babies to Bruce Elementary School. And I think that was something that I was really trying to market and make sure that people knew. I think one of the things that also we were really big on, a small idea that I had was um, making sure that we had advisory time. And so we have a period um, that we have um, once a month where our scholars, every scholar in our building has an advisor. And so I have an advisory group. Every year I choose 12 to 15 fifth grade middle school boys. I always <laughs> take the fifth grade middle school boys. And I, no one ever fights so before. <laughs> no one ever fights before. So it's always been lots of fun. And again, always um, 
fun with those boys. But again, it was important for every staff member to have an advisory group because I wanted to make sure that every child felt like they had a champion in the building. And so again, this is another idea of a small idea of just making sure that we had time for kids to be kids. We did different team building activities, icebreaker activities, played different games where kids didn't realize that they were actually learning something in the process. And it was, we weren't focused on the curriculum. We weren't focused on these standards. We were just focused on developing students for who they were. And I think, again, these programs such as the advisory time, reading the bedtime stories, these small ideas were helping to have any, everyone in the community realized that there was some great things happening at Bruce and it just started attracting all these things. And it's so weird um, that it's like the media just started <laughs> to like want to come in and see everything that we're doing. And it's like, wow. And so we always called ourselves the hidden gem in Midtown. Um, and so we, everyone's keep Put telling it on me a that, <laughs> yeah, everyone keeps telling me that I, they don't know if we're hidden anymore. Um, so we might have to Bad. change our tagline. <laughs> the not so um, But I, I still like that tagline because we still are tucked away behind Bellevue Middle. And so sometimes people don't actually know that we're back there, yeah. but we are back there. And we're really just trying to do the best work for our kids. Well, we're thrilled. I mean, again, you know, anybody who's listening, whether you have children who are school aged or they're in the public schools, we know that. Having excellent public schools is what is going to build a bright future for our city. And having amazing, you know, when we think, I, I, when we talk about education reform and we talk about, you know, improving our schools, it seems like su such a massive and intractable problem. And I always just try to break it down to individual teachers and individual principals because that's truly what it's about. And when it comes Absolutely. down to change, like, yes, we need resources. Um, like, yes, we need support from the community. But if we can build and retain great leaders in our classrooms, in our schools, I, I firmly believe that we can transform everything. I agree. I agree. Well, before we get into your TED Talk, which I'm excited to, to, to listen to because it was one of my favorites from this year. Yes. Um, you know, I know this has been obviously, again, a wild year um, <laughs> and it continues to get wilder. I feel Absolutely. like it's just like the, the punches keep coming. Um, so recently, Shelby County Schools has announced that they are going to be transitioning back into some in-person learning. So I'm just curious, and again, I know this is just your opinion, um, you know, what have been the the challenges of virtual learning? I know, especially for kids in elementary school, it's, you know, it's such a, a, a huge departure. And given, again, what you were talking about, the everything but the curriculum and the pedagogy, like about what's so important about teaching and education. Um, so just tell us a little bit about how you guys have navigated this process and as you guys are looking into transitioning back into the classroom, what that means for Bruce Elementary and how you guys are going to move forward. Yes. So, whew, it know, has right? been a journey. <laughs> Just a short little answer. I know. This has been a journey. Um, I don't think I – no one, when we went out right before spring – Break. Yeah, that was spring break. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was spring break. Nine million like, years yeah. ago yeah. when spring was when we here. we went out on spring break, I don't think anyone knew that we would not be returning no. to school so many months later. And so I think the biggest transition, number one, starting off this year was just we had to adjust and adapt. And I had to teach my awesome teachers how to be virtual teachers. Our teachers did not go to school to be virtual teachers. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't, quote unquote, trainings after training to prepare them. And even if you did attend those trainings, it's never going to prepare you for you having kids in front of you who, again, have never experienced virtual learning yes. um, to prepare them for what to do if this occurs. And so I think the first few, I will say the first few weeks of school, I added another um, line to my resume that said tech support. I love because it. That's, <laughs> that's all I was doing. I was troubleshooting. I felt like Olivia Pope from Scandal. <laughs> 
because my teachers would text and they say, my computer shut down. What do I do? And I'm like, I'm on it. And it was just a matter of me, me and my admin team would come in my conference room and we would just like, okay, I need you to go here. I need you to go help this teacher. I need you to do this. And that's what we spent our first few weeks of school doing, putting out fires, because ultimately we just wanted to get our scholars on the virtual platform. Yeah. Yeah. We're not even focused on what's happening on the virtual platform. We just want them to be on. <laughs> you had on. your own mini like, crisis management you. team. <laughs> I see you on the screen, so you're right where you're supposed to be. Getting them in the right place. Getting them in the right classroom. And so, again, it was ultimately, number one, training and teaching our students and staff and parents about technology. Mm-hmm. How do we use these different platforms? Um, troubleshooting. Again, a big challenge is technology is unpredictable. There are going to be times where it's not working. Um, Perfect example, a few weeks ago, our power went out at Bruce. And so what happens when your power goes out? (laughs) I called it an inclement snow day. Um, (laughs) Weather day. I was like, I guess this is the equivalent of a snow day. It's a mock snow day. We're going to practice for the real one. But you know, it wasn't a snow day. (laughs) But again, at that point, we have to be prepared for what do we do? Because again, we have teachers that are teaching in the building, but we also have teachers that are teaching at home. Mm. So teachers that are teaching at home were able to continue teaching like normal, but then the teachers that are in the building could no longer teach. And it was a power outage in our neighborhood. So there were also kids that were in the neighborhood who didn't have power as well. And so how do we navigate? How do we communicate? And so again, it's a, a matter of us having to think quickly, put out lots of communication. I think that has been the biggest thing that... I feel like we can do at Bruce Elementary School is communicate because, again, things are ever evolving and changing every minute of the day. Um, And so, again, we had to communicate to parents, hey, technology, we're having technology issue. And so we got smart and we thought ahead and we had already already prepared workbook assignments for our scholars that parents had picked up. And so at this point, we assigned them some workbook. And so we now parents know you get kicked off, That's teacher get you kicked get. <laughs> off, work on some asynchronous work so that we can have time to kind of fix the technology while we get back online. But I think the biggest thing, another transition or another challenge that we've just experienced with um, the pandemic has just been we have little babies and they're on the computer for so long oh, no. and we know that it's hard that's, for me to be on the computer listen, for so long. I can't listen, imagine. Over the summer, you can imagine the amount of trainings that we had to go through as principals. Like we're on trainings all day and I'm just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> how much longer do we have? And so if I'm feeling yes. that way as an adult, just imagine kids who, you know, just have all these balls of energy in them and they just want to move around and do all these things. And we expect they're expected to be on the computer in front of the screen for seven, eight hours a day. And so that was another challenge that we saw, but we had to make sure that we addressed those challenges. So what we had to do was within our blocks, within our periods, numerous breaks throughout the day after teachers are able to instruct, they're able to work independently where they're not on camera, where they're not on screen. So they have some time where they're not pressed for looking at a computer screen. And so we just had to get really creative about making sure that we factor in those breaks. And I think now we are in like a, we finally got into our groove um, of virtual learning where scholars understand they are not starting their own meetings. They are keeping <laughs> themselves on mute. They're not inviting and calling other friends into their classes. Like we, you know, they've learned so much. Our kids are resilient and they are creative and they've learned, they've taught us a lot of things. And so now that we're in our groove, it's like, oh, yay. Now we're in the process of preparing for scholars to come back into the building, which of course, I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Of course, safety is at the forefront of every conversation, every decision that we're making. Um, but I am excited. I, I can't yeah. <laughs> even lie that I am excited about the opportunity. Of course, I know that not all of my parents will opt into sending their scholars back. 
but just the idea of seeing some of my scholars um, just makes me smile on the inside because that's what drives me. I think right now I pop into my virtual classrooms and I see the scholars, but you know, it's not the same. No. And so being able to walk the hallways and see the kids, it reminds me of why I do this work every single day. And so it pushes me to be better and it pushes my teachers to be better because you see the our, our clients, you see our customers that we're trying to serve. And so it makes me make sure that I'm doing everything I have to do. And so I think now... We parents are having the op- option to opt in where they want their child to continue um, teaching, um, I mean, teaching, learning virtually at home or whether okay. they want to send their scholars back to school. Teachers also will have the option to continue to work from home or if they are in the building and the thought of kids coming in leaves them feeling a little eerie. They also have the option now to opt into working um, virtually um, and and teleworking as well. One of the things that we did want all our parents to know, because this was a question and concern that parents were coming up with, hey, what if my teacher chooses to be working at home, but I want my child to come in person, are they going to have to get another teacher because I don't want them to have another teacher? And no, they won't. So all students will keep the same teacher. What we're working out is regardless if students are working virtually or working within the school building, they will all keep the same teacher. We're still going to be using our Microsoft Teams platform that we're using to teach. And so teachers will still be teaching through Teams, whether they are in person or whether they're at home. And so if a teacher does decide to teach home, we're going to have classroom facilitators, substitutes, assistants to sit in the classroom to monitor. But ultimately, the instruction will still be coming from the teacher, even if it is them teleworking um, at an off-site campus. And so at right now, where we're at with the process is we're trying to come up with, now we have to create our new re-entry plans, making sure that we have a plan for lunch, mm-hmm. for arrivals, for temperature checks, for right. every little thing um, to make sure that, again, we are making sure that we are maintaining our safety, um, maintaining social distancing to the best of our ability, and just doing the best we can. So I'm excited about the return. I'm excited about the work to continue educating them. Um, but again, as I always say, is like we're really just trying to make sure that the safety of all of our kids um, is taken into consideration with every decision that we make. Well, I don't envy your job at this moment, <laughs> yes. but I'm so grateful that you're in this role because you're that's perfect exactly for it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's let's pivot a little bit to our TED Talk. Um, you know, before we jump into the TED Talk, um, I'm just curious, you know, I love everybody comes to TED a little bit differently. And sometimes it's us, you know, we at New Memphis will, you know, be in a meeting with somebody or hear somebody talk on a panel or something and go, ah, oh, TED speaker. And then sometimes <laughs> they find us. Um, so tell us a little bit about why you wanted to give a TED Talk and sort of how you came to it. I think... First of all, I've always wanted to do a TED Talk, but never thought it would be a reality. So when I remember getting that email saying that, I was, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is, <laughs> this is crazy. How did this happen? And I oftentimes tell people, how did I get here? Yeah. Um, my whole journey has been a how did I get here type of conversation because I'm just so grateful. And I feel like I'm just blessed to be able to provide opportunities to use my voice, to use my platform, to share the great work that's happening across my school and across Memphis in general. And so I always wanted to do it. And so when the opportunity came up, um, I felt like I had something to talk about. I felt like I had a story and I felt like I wanted the world to to just understand and know that anyone can have an idea to bring on change. 
And you just have to believe in yourself and just just do it. Don't necessarily ask for permission. Um, just do it. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. But figuring out how we can regroup to figure out what we need to do differently to make it better for whatever program, whatever uh, business you're working with, just doing something small to bring on that big change. And so I really want to just elevate my voice. Um, I felt like I've also come to a point within my career where I really want to just be able to share my knowledge and my expertise with others. So if there's something that someone can get from a conversation that they've had with me to improve outcomes from for kids, yes. not just here in Memphis, but across the United States of America, means that I have done my job. And so that was ultimately my my purpose of really wanting to do a TED Talk is just trying to, to, to like, like I always say, my grandfather was a pastor. So to, to spread the gospel, mm-hmm. to spread the good spread news, the good news <laughs> to it. spread it to as many people, whoever wants to hear it, Hopefully they heard something, they listened, they learned something. And so ultimately that's what my purpose was. Awesome. Well, then let's go ahead and take a listen to Dr. Archie Moss's TED Talk, Small Ideas Can Lead to Big Change. I am the proud principal of a school that was not designed for me. Let's let that marinate for a minute. Before October 3rd, 1961, I would not have had the opportunity to step foot in nor lead my school. Now, fast forward to today, I have the opportunity to lead, serve, and empower my school. Yes, you heard correctly, I am the principal. No, I'm not the teacher or the assistant or the custodian, as I'm sometimes mistaken as, but I am the proud principal. And as you heard, I'm the youngest one in Chevy County Schools, in case you were wondering. Growing up in Miami, Florida, I had dreams, aspirations, and ideas that I would one day make a huge impact on the world. You see, as a child, you just believe that you can conquer the world. They don't tell you all the responsibility that comes with being an adult, But that's where my personal heroes played a critical role in my development. You see, growing up, my peers idolized about being celebrities like Oprah and Michael Jordan and Jay-Z. I actually still kind of want to be Jay-Z, though, (laughs) only because of his connection to Beyonce. That's, That's it. But for me, I admired the perseverance and sacrifices being made by my mother, and the selflessness and kindness that my grandfather exhibited. You see, they told me that I could be me, be authentic, be unique, and ultimately be the change that I want to see. And that's exactly what I have set out to do. Be unapologetically me each and every day and bring on the necessary change to any and everything I come in contact with. You see, schools have remained the same for years. We must be sure that we work relentlessly to improve on the outcomes. My personal mission is that I will be sure that I work and advocate for equal educational opportunities for all kids who look like me, regardless of their zip code. Memphis has shown me that we will not and cannot just sit by idly and do nothing when there are injustices taking place. I oftentimes joke and tell people that I didn't choose 901, but 901 chose me. 
They chose me to lead in a city that is known for innovation. Innovation can be described as a small idea, method, or device. Memphis houses innovative companies such as FedEx, Service Masters, International Paper. But how much innovation actually takes place within the school? The key to educational equity lies in innovation. We cannot continue to do things that do not work. If we want our students to be successful, we must be groundbreakers and stay connected to them. We must remind them that they have small ideas and that it is okay to fail. There are 554 scholars that walk the halls of Bruce each and every day. It is very easy to get lost in a sea of 554. How can I be innovative and ensure that my students experience self-worth? I oftentimes charge myself and ask myself, what am I doing to make sure that my scholars feel seen, heard, and deeply known? 61% of children who grow up in low-income households do not have access to children's books. And currently, only 27% of Shelby County Schools' third graders are reading on grade level. Something has to be done. Frederick Douglass says, once you learn to read, you will forever be free. I have to work to set my scholars free. That led me to my first small idea of reading bedtime stories online to my scholars on Facebook. So every Tuesday night, you all can also tune on in, Tuesdays, I read a bedtime story at 7.30. I still remember reading my first bedtime story actually one year ago and sitting behind my computer screen hoping and really praying that someone would actually log on and actually see me. <laughs> I always knew that I would log on and see four viewers and it would be my parents and my two sisters who felt pity. <laughs> But to my surprise, within minutes, I had over 500 views. The video was then shared, reposted, and my views increased to 4,000. Y'all, I felt like a celebrity. <laughs> Who would have thought that a small idea about creating a culture of reading and inspiring a love for reading for my scholars would allow me to go viral? I just knew Ellen DeGeneres was going to be calling me, <laughs> yet that phone call still hasn't come, so I'm still waiting. Black boys are 50% more likely to be suspended or expelled than their peers. Currently, black boys also account for 41% of all absences. Something has to be done to save our black boys. What are we going to do to dismantle the school-to-prison pipeline? This led me to my next set of ideas.
first starting Shelby County Schools' first ever elementary basketball league, and then also starting an all-male mentorship program. You see, these small ideas were started as an opportunity to create positive outlets for my boys so they can ultimately stay out of trouble. I still remember those first tryouts, and I had a young man try out for my team who was, let's just say, a rather busy, busy boy, if I want to be a little nice. <laughs> he tried out for the team and did not have a lick of talent. Couldn't dribble, couldn't shoot, could barely walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> but I allowed this student to make it on the team. I observed this student at practice trying to fit in, watching and observing his teammates to improve his skills. Practicing after practice was dismissed to be better. All he wanted was for someone to take a chance on him. And that's what I did. So I ask you all, who will you take a chance on today? Do you all know that during that basketball season, that troubled boy never got in trouble again? No, I'm not a fortune teller. I couldn't predict that this would happen. But if we don't try something, we will never know. We must be brave and non-conventional. Small ideas lead to big change. Everyone in this room has a small idea. I want you all to bear with me for a minute, because I've always wanted to be Oprah. So I want to say that you have an idea. You have an idea. You have an idea. We all have ideas in this space. We must not be afraid to act on these small ideas. We must have the courage to understand that all of our problems can be solved if we are brave enough to try something new. Thank you. And we're back. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Dr. Moss's uh, del deliver such an impactful TED message. Archie, in your talk, you speak about launching the Bedtime Stories with Principal Moss. I know you became a viral sensation, humble brag. Um, <laughs> but tell us a little bit more about like how you felt when this innovative idea you had just kind of took wings and like got out there and flew. Like, how did you feel? So I kind of shared this in a TED talk because I was very nervous the first day. Like thinking of this idea, we were trying to figure out a way that we can improve literacy yes. within our building. And so we've seen double digit gains in math and science over the years, but reading has just not been making the gains at a fast enough pace. And so I'm like, what do what can we do to try to change the the way that our students think, what they think about reading and their love for reading? And I was like, okay, they have, their parents are always on Facebook. Like, I'm always, you know, doing things on Facebook. They're <laughs> liking it, sharing lots of things that we do on our Bruce yeah. Facebook page. So how do I marry these two things? And this is before pandemic happened. So it's so funny that I was trying to bring and incorporate technology into learning before COVID uh, uh, even was a thought and how we've been able just to leverage it as time has went on. And so I think I was just nervous that no one was going to tune in because, again, this idea that, again, it's a small idea. So no one really is doing this type of work. And I'm like, hopefully someone will 
log in. Hopefully someone will watch me. Hopefully they'll interact with me. They'll comment. They'll say something to make me feel special. And I remember joking that my parents were going to yeah, be on the ones that comment. Yeah, you're like, my mom's going to watch. Yeah, and <laughs> she was there. She was ripping me on. So she was probably the first one that logged on. So I was very happy to see her there. Number one fan. Um, however, the numbers just started growing and growing and growing. And as time goes on, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I have over 100 followers. And then it was over 200 or over 300. I'm like, and then once it got to 500, I'm like, wow, I have... 554 kids in my building. And so the fact that there's five over 500 people that yeah. are tuned in watching was like, I'm making an impact and like I'm, people are watching this. And then from there, because it was so new, you know, people just love new things. Mm-hmm. Because it was so new, everyone just started sharing it and sharing it and sharing it. And the views just kept increasing from from 500 to 1,000 to 2,000 to 3,000. I was like, oh my goodness, people are, and I'm like, I'm hoping they're just, you know, these views are because people actually watched yeah. me. But if not, you know, it was still that exposure piece where people were able to see the work that we were doing. And so from there, like the news picked up on it. So local media picked up on it. I remember when, I think what really got me was when globalnews.com picked up on it. And I was like, wait, global, that's the entire that's, that's the world that's the world oh my goodness how did this happen um and so i think from there um i just want to continue to leverage that and figure out ways i can continue to leverage my bedtime stories yeah. so you know i love doing bedtime stories opportunity for me to share different stories so kids can see themselves in the stories they can travel and use their imagination to kind of learn different things but ultimately I also want to use that as an opportunity to bring the community in. So every summer I launch our community um, guest reader series for Bedtime Stories. And I bring in guest readers from the community. I love and that. so um, it also gives me a break. Um, but, <laughs> but besides my break, it just exposes our scholars to just different people. Mm-hmm. So we've had some county commissioners. We've had board members that have done it. We've had just local business people. We've had stay-at-home mom. We've just had all different types of people to like want to be a part of our Bedtime Story initiative, which I think has been great because, again, it's just exposing our kids to more stories, more people, and more walks of life. And so, again, I never thought that that small idea would lead to where it is today. Um, and even the district at that point, um, after I launched mine, the district launched a bedtime story, mm-hmm. which I was so appreciative for because then my bedtime stories were on Tuesdays and they were launching theirs on Sundays and I want to say Thursdays. So yeah. it's like three days out of the week. Now our scholars are getting a different bedtime story, which is ultimately my purpose of making sure that kids are loving, are, are figuring out and determining the joy of reading and learning different things as they hear the different stories. I love that. And I love like you're in... You spoke to it earlier, like you were so young, but you're such an innovator. And these small ideas you have just like plant themselves and like grow. They just grow. Yes, it's like you manifest them almost. Speaking of, in our TED Talk, you said, you basically called out Ellen DeGeneres (laughs) and was like, her people have not called me. Like she has not called me yet. And you spoke that into existence, sir, because Ellen did call you. Yes. So I want to know all the things. I want to know how you felt, what happened, what you guys are doing with that amazing $25,000 gift, I believe. Tell me all the things. Okay, so it's so funny that you mentioned the word manifest because that is the theme for my staff this school year is manifest everything that you need is inside of you um and when i open up the the our manifest theme during in service i started off with playing the clip from tedx of me talking about me and i was like i'm I'm not playing the clip because i'm just that you know (laughs) you just gotta show your yeah i'm not trying to be cocky (laughs) y'all i just wanted to talk about in that TED Talk, I really, I was like, Ellen, you haven't called me, but, you know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. My phone's still available. I'm ready for that call. And then for her to call me. Um, 
again, I go back to how did I get here? <laughs> this is crazy. So over this pandemic, we were trying to find different ways that we can, again, stay connected with our scholars. Again, technology was a huge issue because, of course, during the, when, our, when school went out, all of our kids didn't have technology. And so trying to stay connected with them, trying to keep them engaged and learning was a difficult task. So we were creating music videos to try to get them excited. That's one of the things I also love doing. Um, I remake songs and, and do music videos. I have not and seen like, those. Oh, I'm like, read the links to that, I have sir. quite a few songs. <laughs> I'm going to release like a mixtape or something at one point with Please all of our do. songs. And so um, at that point, we made, myself and some of my teachers, we re- remade a song, um, Wipe It Down. Yes. And so it was, <laughs> I'm, I am very familiar with this song. Yes. So wipe, wipe, um, wipe. We remade "Wipe It Down," and we did that so that we were trying to encourage our scholars to stay safe. That was at the beginning. You know, that's at the height of the yeah. pandemic. So we're just like, we want them. It was a fun song. It was exciting for them to see us doing something fun. It was actually the first time we recorded a music video at home. <laughs> So that was a very difficult task because everyone had to record their own parts and I had to put it all together together. and edit it together, which I love doing. So it wasn't an issue, but it was just like we're normally all in the same room. And so from there, we then record another song, Contagious, which was, again, about COVID-19, saying that you could be contagious. So wash your hands and don't touch your faces. And so (laughs) we were just releasing all these songs, trying to do different things to kind of get our kids excited while they're at home, to engage them, again, leveraging technology and the Ellen Show caught wind of our songs and our music videos. And then they caught wind of after um, all the unrest that was going on around the world because of the police brutality and the murders of um, a lot of the African-American males and women. Um, I felt I felt compelled to release a statement to my community as a black man about how I was processing or lack thereof mm-hmm. processing everything going on in the world. And I sent out this open letter and they got the open letter and they read the open letter and they were they felt very strongly. And they mm-hmm. were just they wanted to talk to me about that. Yeah. And so I and the crazy thing is I still didn't know that we were talking to Ellen like they kind of made me believe that we were just recording something for Ellen Tube, a video for Ellen Tube where they were highlighting different educators and and they were like, you know, sometimes Ellen sees things and she wants to talk to you, but sometimes Mm -hmm. she just goes on there. And I was like, well, either way, I'm on Ellen Tube. Like, that's great. (laughs) And so the reaction that you saw was raw and organic because I was expecting to be prepared to record and then she pops up on the screen oh. and she starts introducing me and saying my name. I'm like, how is this woman saying my name? Like, this is crazy to me. And I was just, it took a while for me to like finally come down off of my like high from that because she's talking. Then she started like listing a brief bio of me. I'm like, Ellen DeGeneres is talking about me. Like, this <laughs> is crazy. Um, and so it was just one of those experiences that I will never, ever, ever forget. Um, I still remember it was June 12th when it aired. <laughs> and the reason I also know that so well is because that was probably like the best, you know, sometimes I, I feel like there was a show on VH1 called The Best Week Ever. It was a long, long time I feel ago. Like there was as well. There was a show. I and I still watched that. that. And so I feel like I just had the best weeks ever because 
I was on the Ellen Show June 12th, and then I defended my dissertation on June 17th. And so I became Dr. Mom and Ellen Show. So it's like, that was like the best week ever. And so just thinking of this idea of the money that Ellen donated, $25,000, I just knew what it was going to do for my kids and my community. I have about 10% of my population who are temporarily displaced or homeless. Mm. Um, And so I know that there was a need during this pandemic, even before the pandemic. We have a huge need for supplies, food, clothes, um, any of those necessities that we know that we've always been providing. We knew that now it was going to be elevated because of the pandemic. And so... Knowing that we were going to be able to get this money, I was just so excited about what we were going to be able to do. So first and foremost, we're just like, okay, technology, we have to make sure everyone has their technology. But then, of course, at that point, the district came back and said they were going to provide lockers for everyone. So I was like, awesome. So we can now funnel and think about what are the other things that we need to do. And so over the summer, figuring out how can we, before the district provided the meals, we want to make sure we can provide those meals. So getting our food pantry up and running so that now when kids come back, to school in person, our food pantry is up and running because we do a really good job of before breaks, before weekends. We know that we have certain students that don't might not have the necessities that they need at home. And so we always send them home with lots of goodies to make sure that them and their families are covered over that break, over that time frame. And so getting our food pan- pantry up and running. Now that we're going back to school, I'm not sure what the policy is going to look like with uniforms, but we want to make sure that we provide our scholars with the uniforms that they need. So we've been providing and buying uniforms and um, clothes and shoes so that we make sure that our scholars have what they need. School supplies. We wanted to make sure that during this pandemic, our parents did not have to worry about school supplies. They have enough to worry about. Mm -hmm. They don't need to worry about what materials they need for their scholars to learn. And so we purchase the materials for them. And so it's just a matter of them coming to pick them up so we can give them for them. Um, The district um, provided um, keyboards for grades three through five, but for our lower grades, they didn't come with keyboards. It was just a touchscreen. And we felt like it was imperative for our scholars to have keyboards. And so we were able to purchase keyboards for them, which are much more expensive than I thought. But um, it's, it's so funny. You're like, when you get this money, you're like, yeah. oh, you're trying to make it stretch as long as you can. And you're like, oh, these are $60 a piece. Oh, wow, this is expensive. Um, but we also want to give them some stylus so that they can be able to touch and navigate on the. So whatever we could do to make their learning experiences mm-hmm. better, we want to do. We bought them headphones because, again, we know that some of them are working there in community centers and mm-hmm. some of them are a lot louder than others. And so we know that the headphones will help them. Yeah. to monitor and eliminate some of that background noise. Um, we're able to buy some of our staff members who also were, like, I think this is the part of the work that people forget. Like, our staff members were also going through COVID. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think I have to always remind people that, yes, we're doing everything that we can for our babies because that is my priority. But I also have to make sure I'm taking care of my staff as well. And so there were staff members who had some needs as well. So we had to buy them new. We had to purchase some new laptops. We got new staff members this year. So we want to make sure that they had the instructional materials that they need, especially now that we're converting to virtual learning. And so document cameras, um, different online virtual platforms to make learning a little bit easier. Um, we just wanted to make sure we could use the funds for things that were going to um, move kids and get them excited. And, and the last thing that we were, we've been able to use the funds for has been um, on just incentives for the kids. So the buying fun little stuff. the fun stuff. So like buying different, you know, slime. The kids love slime. <laughs> so if anyone listening ever wants to like donate slime to right. Bruce Elementary School, you we have a great place. What kind of slime? I'm not going to lie. I have 
made slime during the pandemic, and it is very therapeutic. <laughs> I promise you, the I mean, kids absolutely love slime. They love making slime. They love just getting the slime. I don't know the fascination with it, but <laughs> if they like it, we're going to get it for them. And so just we were able to just buy these things. You know, again, small things that have a big impact yeah. on our kids. Like, they love those small things, like little trinkets and toys. So what we did at the beginning of the year was we asked our kids um, – what rewards would you want to get if you do a really good job? And so, again, because we want to make sure our kids have a voice. And so mm-hmm. we purchase things that they wanted. And so purchasing different gift cards. Some of them are working now for a new Xbox and PlayStation, um, which costs a lot of um, – we have – they get points for doing really mm-hmm. good work. Of course, those cost a lot of points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we have kids who today they were making their selection. They're like, I'm making – I want my points to roll over. <laughs> roll over points? I want – the Xbox. That's and that so, smart thinking, And though. so, See? again, they we, we wouldn't be able to do these things if it weren't for the contributions of Bella. And we have kids that are working so hard in class, doing all their work, showing up on time because they want to earn those points. And if we weren't able to, if we didn't have this the funds to do this, we would have to find other ways, which, again, we'll find ways. But I think it's just opened the doors of being able to reward our scholars and give them exactly what they need so we can make school fun for them and we can re- re- reward them along the way. I love that. I'm like, we should be doing that in our office. <laughs> Awards are fun. Everyone wants to, you know. Everyone true. loves it's an incentive. Everyone Humans loves are so simple. Like, I know. We're all the same. Yeah, well, it also just like, it's a reward, but it also makes you feel like you matter. Yes. You know, like the work you're doing matters. You matter. I feel like that's like the part of the incentive. It's like, it's not just a gift. It's like truly saying, hey, you, you did a great job. You matter. Continue doing this. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> well, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, being a black man and experiencing this moment in history. And I, it makes me want to talk a little bit about the importance of that in your role as an educator. Because, you know, we know at New Memphis that we don't the, – the educators in our city, we want to reflect our city's population. It's so important for young black children to see – um, especially young black men who are in these schools to see a role model like you to have an understanding of what their life can be like. And I'm just curious, how much, how, how, how does that shape the way that you have approached your job? How does it shape the way that you build your team? Absolutely. And so I'm always big on making sure that there's exposure at every level. And so I think I, we one of the taglines that I always use is, our kids can't be what they can't see. Mm. And so if they never see... another t-shirt see, right there. Yes. If they <laughs> never see individuals in these roles, in these capacities, then they won't ever know that that's something they can aspire for as well. And so it's so critical and important that, and I think at my school, it's a direct reflection that at every level of the building, you're going to find a black male. Because because again, there's only two percent of black of of teachers in the across the world are black male educators, and so we know that percentage is so low. And I think at my school is so I'm so fortunate that you have the principal as a black male, you have my our, my counselor is a black male, we have black male teacher, we have black male assistants, and so it's like at every different level they're being exposed to black males, and I think it's just so important. And when I'm going into the work, that even if we don't have the, the people that I think need that we need to reflect the demographics of my students, it's important for me as a principal to b- provide those opportunities for them. And so bringing in people, so whether it's guest speakers, whether it is different field trips that we're able to, ex- to take them to, making sure that whatever it is that we do, that they have an opportunity of seeing themselves in someone. And I think that's where the clubs and organizations come into place, where I want to make sure that the clubs that we offer our kids 
are things that they can see themselves in. And so encouraging that exposure, oftentimes jokes that, you know, I tell my parents, I could have been the next Tiger Woods. I don't know that because I, I never play golf. <laughs> but had I been exposed to it, right. maybe I could have been really great at it and I could have been the next Tiger Woods. We also share the same birthday, so that's always why I use Tiger Woods. <laughs> but how can I bring those same opportunities for my kids? I We will never know what they're interested in doing until we start bringing those opportunities to them. And so I think everything I'm doing is trying to bring those opportunities, those exposures, those people, those ideas to them so that they can, as children, begin to make those informed decisions at five years old, at eight years old, at 12 years old about what it is that I might want to see myself doing. And so I think um, one of the organizations that I was able to start, the Gentlemen's League, which is my all-male mentorship program that I have Mm. at the school, um, that's actually what we've been doing now in the era of COVID is having, we've of course converted to virtual, but we've been bringing in um, professionals in all different walks of life that are not just here in Memphis, but across the world. And so we actually just um, had our first session where we had a retired NBA player, which um, we went to University of Florida together. He's really good friends with my sister. And so it was easy for me to call on a friend. (laughs) Um, But Mr. Chris Richard, who played for the um, Chicago Bulls and the Minnesota Timberwolves, joined them. And if you could just see the joy in the eyes of my boys, even if it was virtual, they were just so excited about talking to an NBA player. And after the call, I got so many. Now that the kids have technology, like they love sending emails. And so <laughs> we're, we're going to teach them that, you know, you can actually write the email in the, in the line. You don't have to put it as a put subject. But um, they, I got so many emails from my, from my boys just saying, thank you for giving us this opportunity of talking to an NBA player. And um, it just kind of made, like, like, that makes my heart so made happy. my heart <laughs> smile so much. And I actually, I got kind of emotional because, again, that's just something so small. Like, I'm just trying to get them excited and get them exposed to different people at different walks of life. And it made an impact on them. And it just made me think of how that small idea, they might always cherish that moment and think of that as they continue to grow up in life. Mm. And so if I can continue doing things like that, again, I am doing my job. And I think that's what my role is as principal is making sure that whatever it is that my scholars need to see themselves, to feel heard and, and known, I want to make sure I provide that for them. Yeah, that that reaffirms what you said in your TED's talk that schools are all the same, but the world is not and will continue to evolve and change. And so making sure that you're always actively bringing that into the classroom so students see what is available to them today, but also, again, as the world changes, um, you know, how they can be a part of that. Well, before we let you go, one thing I always want to ask educators when they're talking to a big, broad audience like um, this radio audience is, what can an individual, whether they're you know, a parent, not a parent, a business leader, just, you know, regular person walking around Memphis listening to this, what can they do to support your work, your school, your kids? So the biggest thing I always, I have this ready to go because of my Bedtime Stories initiative, I'm always seeking books. Um, Books not only for me to read, but books that I can put in the hands of my scholars. Because again, You'll see a lot of the work that we're doing is around literacy because we know that there is a huge literacy gap within the district and within my school building. And I know, just like I said in my TED Talk, was once you learn to read, you'll be forever free. And I have to set my kids free, and it's through their ability to be feel liberated by learning to read. And so I do know um, once, you know, 
COVID clears and it's over with, we always love volunteers to come into the room. So right now what we've been having is we've been having individuals from all different walks of life volunteer to just be guest readers. And so we've had them call into our classes virtually and they'll just read their favorite book. And again, the kids just love sometimes. Sometimes they get tired of seeing our faces all the time. They just want to see a fresh new face. And I might read that same book and then the guest reader will read it and they'll be like, oh my God, that was so amazing. I'm like, <laughs> I just read that. But they just love those op- opportunities of like meeting new people or kids just like talking and meeting people. And so we're always looking for volunteers or individuals that might want to dedicate a few minutes oh, a month to just volunteer to read to our scholars. Um, we have the Rise to Read program, which helps the scholars with their sight words in second grade. And so we're always looking for volunteers. I know they've been really working, trying to figure out what does that look like in COVID, mm-hmm. after COVID. And so we're always looking for volunteers to support us um, with that. And so ultimately, um, donating books, donating resources, um, school supplies, uniforms, those are all things that we are always trying to make sure that we constantly replenish because there is an absolute need at Bruce. And again, we want, I want my, personally, I want my parents to only have to worry about getting their kids to school every day. And that is it. If they're having other financial needs, if they're having other supply needs, um, other hardships, I feel as though it is my job to fill that gap and fill that void. And so whatever I can do to assist them, that's what I want to do. But sometimes there's resources are not there. So I'm always being creative and trying to find ways that we can kind of replenish those funds, replenish the resources. So anyone listening that wants to just provide a lending hand and wants to help us out, wants to read to the kids, give out books, we're always soliciting support and love to Bruce. Good. Well, we will... We will put links to this on yes. our social media page. We're going to put a call out for books. I love that idea. I, so. Same. Yes. I'm such a book nerd. New I'm Memphis like, Facebook page, New Memphis Twitter, New Memphis Instagram. We're going to make that call and so you can learn more. We'll also have links to how you can volunteer for A Rise to Read, yes. which is an amazing program. I love it. So easy to volunteer and so much fun. So. It is. Well, Archie, thank you for being no, with us today. This was fabulous. Thank me. you for taking the time to build a beautiful TED Talk. Um, we're just thrilled to have you with us. And thank you. I know. I'm so happy you were here with us. You're oh, such a like you. kind presence. It's a good I like. Spirit. I know. Yeah. Oh, I well, I'm just like it. I love that we have educators like you and principals and is it? It's an ad, it's called an admin position, yes, right? Yes. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Yes. But like people like you in those positions of power who care so deeply and so much. It's just I'm always inspired. I was inspired by your TED talk, and thank I was you, very excited you, to you. have you here. So thank you so much for thank joining you all. us. I'm so appreciative. All right. Have a good one. All right, guys, thank you so much today of tuning in this episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. Just some last closing remarks before we leave you today. It is November 3rd, which means today is the last day to exercise your right to vote. If you haven't done it yet, this is your friendly reminder from New Memphis, your voice matters. Um, Also on our end over at New Memphis, we are busy as ever bringing you guys quality events. Upcoming on November 18th, we have our final Celebrate What's Right conversation of the year. Our theme for this final one is Culture City USA, and we will be taking a deep dive into all things culture. We're going to be talking about how, you know, it's more than just our grit and grind that defines Memphis as a city. It's about how we, you know, our city makes you feel it in your soul. It isn't limited to the arts. It's from food to the fashion to the sports to the music. 
they all play a unique part in creating this culturally rich city. And Memphis is leading the charge in becoming a cultural destination again and again. We see it named on list after list. Um, and we're gonna just kind of explore how impactful culture is in attracting and retaining talent and how the arts and culture sector has also been transformed from the ongoing pandemic as well as kind of give the audience some action steps needed to create a resurgence around our city's cultural, economic impact and brand. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention who some of the rock star, or actually I'm gonna mention who all of the rock star panelists are on this. It's going to be Rachel Knox, who's gonna be our moderator. She is actually a culture advocate and grant maker for our friends at the Hyde Foundation. Jason Wexler, who's sport fanatic and change maker with the Memphis Grizzlies. Isaac Daniel, music mentor and visionary with Stax Music Academy. L. Perry, who is a cultural content curator at the Daily Memphian, and our friend Whitney Hardy, who is an arts advocate, activist, and innovator for Third Space and Epicenter. I really, really hope to see you there. It is on November 18th. You can find all of our events on our website at newmemphis.org events, and that one will take you right to the link to register on Eventbrite. Um, one last new piece of New Memphis business, we are currently in our open recruiting season for our Embark program. Um, Embark is a young professionals group, so whether you're a young professional looking to build your toolkit, meet peers, and impact the community, or an employer with a promising young professional on your team, New Memphis Embark has something for you. Um, it is a four-month engagement that empowers high-performing 20-somethings that usually that ranges like two to seven years into your career. It empowers them to become leaders and build relationships as they prepare to make a difference in Memphis. So please, please, if you are a person listening that thinks you would be perfect for our program, if you are listening and you know a young professional that would be perfect, go to our website, again, newmemphis.org, and click on Embark, and it'll take you through the Nominator Apply form. Um, and so I hope to get your nominations. I hope you guys attend our events. And thank you so much for listening to us today on this episode. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Bye.